Hi, and welcome to the Medicine for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Stiff. I'm a dietitian turned physician passionate about empowering people to use their lifestyle as medicine. Many of the chronic diseases and cancers that affect our world can be prevented. I'm on a mission to provide you with evidence-based tools and education so you can implement realistic and sustainable changes into your life to combat disease, reach your health goals, and lead your best life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Let's begin this journey together. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Medicine for Life podcast. We are talking all about sleep today. Uh, So I did a blog post a week or two ago about sleep that you can reference if you have any questions. That was on a specific subset of sleep related to um, exercise and associations with improved sleep. So head over to nutritionhealthlife.com if you want to read more about that. Today we're just talking about sleep in general. Um, And really to kind of start... I want to talk about how our culture has somehow begun to believe that sleep is an option and not a requirement. So for as long as time has been recorded, (laughs) sleep has been a part of who we are as creatures. Everyone needs to sleep. And actually about a third of our life is spent sleeping. And our minds have evolved in a way that has preferenced this because When we sleep, there are adaptive mechanisms that happen to kind of process everything that happened, repair genes that have been damaged from various stressors throughout the day and exposures, um, to sort through things that happen during the day, um, and just to provide rest for our body to regroup to be able to come on to the next day. And for some reason, we have begun to believe that we can decide how much sleep we need and that our bodies aren't smart enough to decide. And we actually have taken this so far to the point that we feel that not sleeping is a badge of honor. You cannot go far without somebody bragging about how little sleep they had the night before. And if you reply by saying how much sleep you got, if it's more than them, then there's usually some sort of comment about, oh, it must be nice to be able to sleep a whole night or Why did you waste all your time sleeping when you could have been doing something else? Even if those comments aren't said, they're implied by the response. Um, And this is actually quite pervasive um, with people who are competitive. So in a competitive workplace, you know, you think of a typical like medical school setting or law school setting or um, with teenagers who are very competitive with trying to get into certain colleges um, or um, exceed expectations in AP classes. Um, And people will often talk about how they pulled an all-nighter and look at me, I'm so amazing because I did this and produced this and I'm still here talking to you now. And this pervasive undertone of a badge of honor when we don't need much sleep is very detrimental. One, it's detrimental just to our health, which I'll talk about today, but then also just uh, children see this and hear this and they begin to internalize that there's something wrong with them if they try sleeping more and that they're supposed to not be sleeping much because that will make will mean that they are um, you know a stronger person and that they are more successful and driven if they don't need as much sleep um, and so at very young ages children start to change the way that they look and feel about sleep 
they begin to deprioritize it and sometimes even prioritize not sleeping. <laughs> and so um, as the adults in this situation, it's really important that we emphasize how important it is to get enough sleep at night and how important it is for us to prioritize healthy sleep habits. So today I'm going to just talk about sleep in our country, some sleep facts, um, and then just lightly touch on uh, medical conditions impacted by sleep and then a few tips on how to improve sleep. So the average adult is sleeping less than seven hours. It's just under seven hours, so it's not like it's crazy, but six hours and I think it was 56 minutes. And 20% of Americans are sleeping less than six hours a night. I mean, that's a huge number. And there's not a formula to tell us exactly how much sleep everyone needs, but we do know it's somewhere between seven and nine hours for most people. Now, there are always outliers. And so if you're one of those people who says, I do all the right things, I go to bed at 10 and I'm up by four and I cannot sleep any longer, um, then by all means, sleep less. But it's super important to address all of the things I'll talk about at the end to ensure that you're setting yourself up for a healthy and restful and rejuvenating sleeping experience. So um, in all of this, you know, most people say, oh, I don't need that much sleep. Yet almost a third of the population reports trouble sleeping. And so clearly, most people do need more sleep than what they're getting, um, but in the hustle and bustle of everything, we think that we're able to function just as well on less sleep than we actually are able to function. And interestingly enough, sleep deprivation decreases our awareness of our deficiencies. So it's kind of like drinking where someone's mildly intoxicated and they don't realize how they're acting. They think they're acting totally normal, but everyone around them can tell that they're just a little drunk um, or a lot drunk. <laughs> but it's similar in the sense that you don't realize it in the moment. If someone videotaped you and you watched it later with a fresh um, set of eyes and a good night's sleep, you'll likely see how different your, your processing time is and how your responses are than they would be if you had been fully rested at that moment that was recorded. And so, I'm oh, sorry, there's just a lot of extra background noise there. Um, and so it's really important that that we understand we cannot outsmart our bodies. They have evolved in this way. If less sleep was possible then and, and it was better, then we would have evolved to need less sleep. <laughs> and so we need to remember that our bodies have been working really hard at fine-tuning us into the best creature for survival possible for thousands of years. And so we really need to step back and acknowledge that our bodies are smarter than us, and we need to listen to them. This is similar to kind of what I talked about previously about weight as well. And so with sleep, I want to just give you a few facts about sleep. So this is going to be the nerding out time. <laughs> Feel free to fast forward if you don't want to learn about some science. But um, so basically, like I said, sleep deprivation is similar to intoxication. So we often don't realize that we're impaired. There are many things that influence the level of sleep deprivation that we might have. Um, and there are many things that influence our normal circadian rhythm. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the, the impact or sorry, the, the inputs that affect our circadian rhythm. So there are many things and I'm, this is a very simplified version, but basically the temperature, light exposure, sound and food or eating patterns dramatically impact 
our internal workings of the circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm actually can shift for people based on these different inputs. And based on these inputs, our bodies will create the most optimal functioning that they can. And so there are numerous systems within our body that take these inputs and then send hormones and signals to different organs in our body for those to release different hormones and signals. One of these areas is called the suprachiasmatic nuclei. And so this is in the brain, and this is like the central clock that interfaces with various systems to influence hormonal regulation in our body. And this clock is extremely sensitive to light, and it uses light to modulate numerous systems and signaling pathways. And so you often will hear how important monitoring your light like exposure and intake is, I just can't emphasize enough that it's like essential at the functioning of the circadian rhythm um, because it is really going to adjust our sleep-wake cycles, our ability to go into deep sleep and have restorative sleep. Light specifically, the quantity and quality of light matter. And so one thing that many people will notice is if they go camping, that in the morning they naturally wake up when the light comes up, even if they want to sleep because they maybe were up too late around the campfire. But your body gets these signals, even with your eyes closed, that there's external light and it will start to stimulate processes to get you to wake up sooner. Um, The type of light matters. So you may notice that if um, if you use screens before bed, so blue light, which is the backlighting of TVs and, and cell phones and computers, this blue lighting is a wavelength that actually stimulates us to be more awake and it suppresses melatonin release. So melatonin is that hormone um, that, that kind of initiates the cycle for sleep and blue light is suppressing that. It also can, can um, increase your heart rate, increase your blood pressure, and then increase your core body temperature, which you actually want your core body temperature to be decreasing to initiate the sleep process. And so this, you can see how our excessive use of blue light in our daily life and prior to bed may be influencing some people's ability to get restful sleep at night. Also, um, like a clock in your room, this is one of those things people don't always think about, but if the clock in your room is a blue colored light or a low cool wavelength, it actually can make it difficult for you to go back to sleep after you've looked at it. Trying to make sure that the light in your room is more of a a warm light that is going to prevent activating systems when the light reaches the parts of your brain. And interestingly, so people who suffer from any behavioral health disorder, who are elderly or have vision difficulties are actually more affected by, by blue light than an average person without any of those conditions. And so it's really essential that if you fit into one of these categories, that you're monitoring your blue light usage, especially prior to bed, because these are going to stimulate parts of your brain and prevent you from having deep restful sleep, okay? Or at least as much deep restful sleep as you uh, could get and need. Interestingly enough, night owls are actually more susceptible to the suppression of blue light on melatonin. These people get into a catch-22. I, you know, I'm not a night owl. I've never been one. I'm definitely always an early bird. But there are people who swear that they cannot be an early bird. Like they're just out. Their circadian rhythm is set up so they will go to bed at 2 a.m. and function fine if they can sleep as much sleep as they need. But they can't, for the life of them, go to bed at 10 and get up at 6 because they just can't fall asleep that early. 
And so interestingly, these individuals, if they have any exposure to blue light prior to bed, especially the hour before bed, it will make it that much harder for them to fall asleep. So it's not uncommon to get into this catch-22. So you can't sleep because you're a night owl. What will you do in our culture today? You'll be on the computer, on your phone, watch TV, something with a screen. That screen use is going to suppress melatonin even more dramatically in you than in someone like me. And you'll be even more awake and un unable to fall asleep. And so your, your bedtime could get pushed later and later, or I guess you would say earlier and earlier into the morning because you're probably after midnight at this point. And you just kind of get stuck because let's say you need to get up from work. Well, then you get up in the morning, you're exhausted because you didn't sleep enough and you use caffeine or other stimulants to try to get through your day. And then nighttime comes, you're on the computer because you're, you know, you're tired just doing something mindlessly and you can't fall asleep and you just feel like you're stuck. If you identify as a night owl, then I really, really want you to take a look at your blue screen use and see what you can do to possibly modify that to improve your sleep overall and hopefully start to uh, make your bedtime a little bit earlier in the night. Another thing that can affect your sleep cycles is carbohydrate intake. So when people consume carbohydrates, it actually it releases energy, so it increases alertness. So you can imagine that there's pro this is probably linked to why when we're super sleep deprived, we crave carbs because we're tired and our body knows through the, the history of it <laughs> that when we eat something with carbohydrate, we have more energy. If you're eating carbohydrates before bed, it can be extremely difficult for you to fall asleep and stay asleep because there's less melatonin circulating because it can help, the carbohydrates can actually suppress some of that melatonin release and then also just the actual stimulation from carbohydrates themselves. If you're someone who struggles with going to bed at a certain time, consider decreasing your carbohydrate intake leading up to that time. If you have a bedtime snack, choose something that's higher in protein and, and fat and lower in carbohydrate. And even at dinner time, you know, try not to have a huge bowl of pasta, but instead, you know, one serving of carbohydrates, so a small amount of pasta with a lot of vegetables and proteins to make sure you're getting other nutrients and prevent excessive alertness from coming so close to bedtime. And then the last piece I wanted to talk about was dehydration. Um, so not drinking enough fluid actually can change the core body temperature and cooling process and can prevent you from being able to initiate sleep. And so being dehydrated can actually impact you more than just feeling thirsty. Um, there's numerous impacts on your health. The dehydration itself, because of the concentration of, of items in your blood, I don't want to get too technical about this, so the things in your blood that make a concentration, um, if they're too concentrated, it actually it changes the functioning and signaling that happens in your body to initiate the gradual cooling of your core prior to sleep. So I wanted to talk about some of the medical conditions that are impacted by sleep. There are a ton, and I'm not going to go into extensive detail on each of these, but just sort of plant a seed, because if you maybe have one of these conditions, I would really encourage you to look at your sleeping patterns, because you might realize by just focusing on your sleep, some of these conditions can improve. So the first one is high blood pressure. So this is so impacted by sleep. So Oftentimes, I will talk with people who have trouble controlling their blood pressure, and when I ask about sleep, it is not uncommon that they're not sleeping enough at night and or they have something called sleep apnea, which is when you have episodes where you stop breathing in the middle of the night. And until these issues are addressed, 
their blood pressure will not be controlled. You might be able to kind of keep it at bay, but it, you'll always be chasing it. And it's, these are the people who continually need another pill to control their blood pressure because it's just not working. And they're frustrated because they're doing all the things for diet and exercise, let's say, but they, they don't realize that sleep is actually the main trigger for them. If you happen to have high blood pressure, I really encourage you to take a look at your sleep and see if there's any way that you could improve it. And interestingly, when people with high blood pressure restrict their blue light, um, it actually can have a huge impact of um, improving their overall sleeping patterns. And so these are, this is one area where blue light is super crucial. All right, the next condition I wanted to talk about was mood disorders. So anyone who has any struggle, which is like at least a third of the population when you look at statistics, it might even be more. So if this is you, please don't feel like you are alone because most of the population at some point of their life has struggled with some sort of mood disorder. And so if you struggle with depression, bipolar, seasonal affective disorder, PMS, any of those things, um, anxiety, when you aren't sleeping well at night, it actually triggers pathways to make these conditions harder to manage. I'm not going to go into the details because each condition has numerous pathways and things that influence it, and all of these conditions are multifactorial. Um, but the research is pretty clear that these, if you fit into these categories and you improve your sleeping habits, oftentimes your mood will start to improve. So it's a simple, non-pharmacologic, even non-therapy way to try to improve some of these conditions. Sleep should be used in conjunction with these other modalities, but it's one thing that you personally can have a lot of control over. And so if you pair this with medications and therapy um, and you know group settings and things that you have found with your provider that are beneficial for your uh, behavioral health condition, if you pair this all together, improving your sleep can have a big impact and make the other modalities even more effective. So I'd really encourage you, if you suffer from any of these, um, to make sure you're talking to your provider about this and then also start working on your sleeping habits to see if that can help improve things. Now, sometimes these conditions actually make it harder to sleep. And so this is why therapy can be especially helpful because they can help with identifying thinking or behaviors that um, are, are becoming counterproductive and making sleep wor- uh, your sleeping patterns even worse. And so um, just keep in mind that sleep is important. See what you're able to do yourself and then make sure you talk to a provider about it to make sure that you can be getting the sleep that you need. Also, interestingly, um, they found that patients who that have had a TBI or have had a traumatic episode that resulted in PTSD, if they were sleep deprived before or after those episodes happen, which is very common, especially after one of these episodes, if they were sleep deprived, it actually makes the TBI or PTSD worse. It has to do with the brain's ability to recover from the incident. No one knows when they're going to have either of these things happen. Getting enough sleep in your general daily life is going to make you more resilient if something does happen. And then if you are exposed to either of these, that you ensure that sleep is a priority. And then the next one I wanted to talk about is weight. You know how I all feel about weight. But it is important that we talk about this because this is one of the areas where we can modify weight if this is a problem. So they have found people not sleeping enough at night gain more weight. And there's multiple reasons for this. One of them is there's decreased leptin. Leptin is a hormone that suppresses your appetite. 
ghrelin, appropriately named, like a growling tummy. Ghrelin is its counterpart that stimulates appetite and, and invokes food-seeking behaviors. And so they've actually found that when people aren't sleeping enough, they have more ghrelin and less leptin. As you would imagine, this leads to weight gain many times. And it also can be something that makes weight loss resistant. So again, I don't focus on telling people to go lose weight, but I can feel quite confident that if you're not eating well and exercising and you start eating well and exercising, you will probably lose some amount of weight. No one can guarantee how much, but there's probably some weight loss coming. Interestingly, if you're not sleeping well at night, you can become resistant to losing weight. So you could make these other healthy behavior changes, but if you're still only sleeping four to five hours a night, you might feel like you're stuck. Like, why am I not losing weight? Why am I not feeling better? It's probably in part because of this lack of sleep. And they actually did a study where people were restricted to four to five hours of sleep at night and monitored their calorie intake. And they actually um, had more food seeking behaviors and ate 300 calories more a day. That extrapolated over an entire year if there's no other like internal regulation system happening to modify your metabolism and things would equal like 30 pounds a year. So I would not be surprised if the sleep deprivation in our country is contributing greatly to this obesity rise that we keep seeing. Another thing that um, sleep deprivation does to weight is that it increases insulin resistance, which would also go along with diabetes. And when you have more insulin resistance, you have a propensity to deposit fat. Um, so you're increasing your risk of diabetes and you're gaining weight, which also can increase your risk of diabetes. And so sleep alone is directly influencing this. So by getting adequate sleep at night, you could decrease your risk of diabetes and decrease the weight gain that you otherwise might be experiencing. And then the third piece is the lack of energy that goes along with sleep deprivation leading to less physical activity. So the blog post I mentioned at the beginning talks about studies that have looked at the association of physical activity and sleep. These are just associations, not cause and effect, but we have found that people who exercise daily tend to sleep better at night. We don't know if the exercise itself improves the sleep or if the sleep improves the ability to exercise. Either way, not exercising enough likely will lead to weight gain over a lifetime. And so by not um, getting enough sleep, we don't have the energy to exercise. I mean, I don't know how many times people tell me they don't exercise because they don't have time and they're too tired. And it's interesting because often when those same people go and start exercising, they will realize a few things. They will experience increased alertness and energy afterwards. And they will also realize that at night, they're able to fall asleep sooner and stay asleep longer. Um, and so, and then the hope being that they'll get to bed earlier and be getting enough sleep at night, which will then give them even more energy to go exercise. And this, this cyclical process will hopefully go in a positive direction. But you can see how not getting enough sleep at night will make this go negative because you don't sleep enough at night, you're very tired, you don't exercise, you use other stimulants to get you awake during the day, like caffeine throughout the day, you can't fall asleep at night, you can't wake up in the morning to go exercise, you have no energy, and again, the cycle continues. So addressing sleep can influence this as well. So the next one is cognition. So they've actually found that, what I mentioned at the beginning, that when people are sleep deprived, they have trouble processing. So one is this impaired judgment I mentioned. They don't realize that they're slow, um, but there actually is less restorative sleep that happens when you're not getting enough sleep at night. And so 
during the day when you're awake, you have lower mo- or less moral judgment, you have impaired learning and memory, and you can have an overactive amygdala. The amygdala is that thing that yells at you when you like almost step in front of a moving car that saves your life. <laughs> it's the thing that's like quick acting and it's there for your survival. It also, unfortunately, when it's overactive, is the thing that causes outbursts and triggers people to have explosive responses sometimes. People can be very quick to respond and then afterwards sort of regret it. The amygdala can play a role in that because if it's overactive, it's like hyper alert and it's looking for every threat to your life. Um, So it can lead to some increased anxiety, behaviors that you otherwise wouldn't want to participate in. By not sleeping enough, these things are impaired, which can then lead to, you know, influence other mood disorders as well, which again can contribute to this cycle that we've talked about. And then the last one that they found a link with is that restorative sleep is essential for gene repair. And they've actually found that some cancers can be influenced by sleep. Now, lack of sleep does not cause cancer, and that's not at all what I'm saying, but lack of sleep can prevent full gene repair, which can increase the risk of someone who has a predisposition for a cancer for that cancer to present in their genes. Because some cancers, what happens is with enough mutations and changes and lack of repair, those cancers will then express themselves. And so the thought process is that if genes can't be repaired during sleep, some of these cancers could present sooner or could present in someone who was otherwise kind of protected until all the gene repair was missed. Just something to keep in mind that getting enough sleep could potentially help decrease your risk of some cancers. It doesn't reverse cancer in any way. The goal is to decrease your risk. Some quick tips before we wrap up here. I realize today's has gone a little long. We're going to talk about how to improve sleep. One thing you want to look at is making sure your room is really just used for sleep. Okay? You should not be playing games in your room. You shouldn't have a TV in your room. Anything that is outside of normal restful behavior. Okay? Um, You want to make sure that there's an appropriate temperature in your room that you minimize light. And so that might be blackout shades. It might be covering up anything that has like a little glowing light, like even a plug in the wall that lights up when it gets plugged in. Make your room as dark as possible. And in preparation for bed, even dimming the lights one hour before and avoiding blue light is very helpful. So keeping these factors about, remember that light input affecting our ability to go into a sleep and restful state. You wanna exercise daily, like we talked about before. Avoid uh, caffeine after lunch. You know, if you really need it, once in a while is okay. But caffeine has a really long half-life. And it's not uncommon that people will say they can't fall asleep at night. And they look back and they were drinking a coffee at noon. And when they eliminate that coffee, they suddenly start to be able to sleep better. So those midday crashes where you're really tired, drinking caffeine at that time will often have a snowball effect and make it harder for you to sleep later at night. Try to avoid alcohol three hours before bed. Many people think alcohol helps them sleep, but it actually prevents the deep restful sleep. It just has more REM sleep, um, which is that like very vivid dreaming state. And so trying to avoid alcohol before bed will allow your liver to process that and prevent you from missing out on the restorative sleep. Make sure that you eat a healthy dinner that's um, not too big, low in salt and low in carbs to prevent that excessive stimulation at night. Drink enough fluids because we talked about how dehydration can make it hard for you to fall asleep appropriately. 
try to only do relaxing behaviors before bed. So that hour before bed, no blue light, no stressful things, no work, just relaxation, okay? And, and become make it a routine in your household. You know, you could start doing it at first and then encourage others in your household to do the same. Remember, if you have children, you get to make the rules. <laughs> and so I know it's easier said than done enforcing some of these rules. But if you decide that this is a priority in your household, then you can make a very firm rule that there's a certain time with no more TVs or screens. That might mean having to take TVs out of kids' bedrooms um, because I really don't recommend them in there in the first place. But you know, t- removing the screens from the area where they could be trouble, impacting someone's ability to sleep, because this is really essential for appropriate development and learning. If you explain your reason why and you stick to your guns, the battle will slowly get better but the first week will be rough, I'm sorry. If you still are having trouble, so let's say you do all these things and in three weeks you're like, my sleep is the same. (laughs) There are a number of behavioral interventions that can help. So CBT is very well studied for this and I would highly recommend it. Trying to seek out someone who specializes in sleep uh, sleep disorders um, or behavioral therapy for sleep. And they can give you some techniques to try to help kind of get out of your own head and help you be able to get that restful sleep you need. You should see a provider because maybe you have a sleep disorder that needs additional interventions. You can consider melatonin. It seems pretty safe overall, especially in low doses, like the -the over-the-counter doses. So you can consider that. Be sure to talk with your doctor before starting it to make sure it won't interact with any medicines you take. Avoid sleeping aids. So Ambien benzodiazepines, and there are a variety of others, but please do not take these medicines. They're addictive, and remember, our goal is to get enough sleep naturally. Our bodies know how to sleep. We need to address the underlying issue. We cannot put Band-Aids on them, and if you do put one of these Band-Aids on for a long time, it is going to make the battle of actually getting sleep so much harder. And I don't know anyone who wants to take a sleeping pill for the rest of their lives. If you start taking one now, it's going to be so challenging to get restful sleep later. It's going to be very challenging to stop using this medicine. And we're realizing the negative effects of using these things. So many providers are decreasing how often they'll give them to patients anyway. So the best thing you can do is to deal with the underlying behavior. I know it's hard um, and I know it feels like it'll take forever, but it's so much easier to do now than after you have to undo all of the negative effects these sleeping medicines do on your body. And then just remember this all takes time. How long have you had the behaviors or trouble sleeping that you're struggling with? It'll take a long time to get back to where you were, you know, 20 years ago. So give yourself grace and and set realistic expectations about how long you think this will take. So that's all I have for now. This was a really long one. I'm sorry. So um, head over to nutritionhealthlife.com to read some blog posts about this or go to my Facebook page and leave comments uh, to give me some feedback. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week. Be well.
While I make every effort to broadcast correct information, I am still learning. The views expressed on this podcast are solely my own, based on extensive experience and research. The views of this podcast are not those of any organizations that I am currently or previously affiliated with. If you have any concerns about views or opinions expressed in this podcast, please contact me directly at lynn.stiff at nutritionhealthlife.com. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another, and I am simply presenting my views on how to use diet and lifestyle approaches to improve your health. By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice or to treat any medical conditions that either yourself or others are experiencing. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Do not ignore or delay obtaining professional medical advice because of information accessed or otherwise obtained from or on behalf of Nutrition Health Life LLC or Lynn Stiff MD.